this is Rob Coburn, and we are excited that you're joining with us today. If you're a part of the Summit Dover family, whether in person or online, we'd love to connect with you via social media at the Summit Dover on all social media outlets and on our website, thesummitdover.com. We can get you plugged into our app or our YouTube channel, as well as giving options and opportunities to connect with the Summit Dover family all around the world. I hope this word today encourages you and inspires you. Let's jump into the message. We've been in the series called Stand, and we've read this scripture over and over and over. And, you know, I've been memorizing scripture for a long time, and I know you have too. And we try to get it in there, and I know that the the further uh, you get away from it, if you miss a little bit, sometimes it slips, and sometimes it's brought back to your remembrance and all of that. But the last verse of this, of our core scripture, which is Ephesians 6, 10 through 13, it says, Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand. My, my thought process this week as I've been just going through different scriptures and memorizing and learning them is, is, uh, is trying to just compile all this truth in my head. And the Lord said, I would rather you have the essence of the verse in your life than the verse in your head. And, and I've known that, I know that, I know that. It's like that reassuring uh, correction of the Father that says, I would rather you live out that verse than to have it memorized in your head. Although if it's memorized in your head, you can help other people and it can be brought back to you. But more than that, he wants us to live out something. And we've been talking about stand. We've been talking about the different people in the scriptures. We've talked about uh, relationships. We've talked about uh, standing on a word, standing on uh, a scripture, standing on things. And, And I believe all of that, but I think that sometimes we miss one of the core factors of standing. And as I go through this, I'm going to go through a lot of scripture. So I want you to, you know, as, as Pastor Dennis always said, listen fast because I'm going to go fast. But I want you to make sure that this doesn't just go in your ears. It goes in your heart. So I want to pray this morning that there would be a softening of our hearts, that we would receive this truth because I believe it is vital to your breakthrough. I believe that what we prayed about this morning, God's done some great things. I believe he's going to do more even as we move forward in this message because God is ready to and has done Many things that we haven't taken from him, that we haven't received from him. And so, uh, so let's pray this morning. Father, today, we are excited to be in your presence. Lord, I thank you for this worship team who day in, day out are in your presence. And when they come on this platform, Lord, they take us a place that we want to go into your throne room. And so, Lord, today, as we are here, I ask for softened hearts. I ask for this seed of your word to go forth and penetrate the soil, to crack the rocks, and to bring forth fruit. Lord, I am an imperfect communicator, but you are the perfect communicator. So I surrender myself to you that you would speak through me today that the truth of your word and what you want to bring forth to these people would come out and it would produce fruit in their lives today. Lord, we give you this day. In Jesus' name, amen. I love it when the Lord just shows up and then he changes things. He changes things all the time if we're open. I want you to turn with me to Ephesians 2, verse 8. It says, for you know this, you've memorized it, some of you live it, 
But it says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Salvation, I've heard this taught many different ways, and I'm starting with it this morning because I think that sometimes we value one way it's taught more than we value the other way. So I'm going to bring it forth to you both ways, and then we're going to go through the rest of scriptures looking at both sides of this scripture this morning. It says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and it's not of anything that you have done. Have you heard that before? It's not of anything that you've done. Salvation is nothing that you could do. You can't redeem yourself. You can't, uh, you can't do it on your own. Many of us try to do life on our own, and we always find out that it gets messy. When we allow him to do it, it's not as messy. It can still be messy, but it's not as messy because he knows the perfect way to shift us. So salvation is not of yourself. But I want to read this verse again, and I want to bring it forth in a different direction. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Faith is not of yourself. Not just salvation, but faith isn't of yourself. You don't have enough faith in and of yourself to do anything. It is the gift of God, the saving faith that allows us to receive redemption for our sins. And so this faith is not of yourselves. We, we often say, yeah, salvation, I get that. But do you understand that faith, you can't drum up enough faith in yourself to do any of this. Faith is the answer that the enemy doesn't want you to understand today. Because this faith that I'm talking about is not the thing that you muster up because that's not worth anything. It is the faith of Jesus Christ. And so that cannot happen. It's not of yourself. It is a gift of God. You see, we are given faith of salvation, faith for salvation. When you receive Christ, it wasn't because you had this miracle working faith. It's because it was imputed to you to receive salvation. It was faith of God that allowed you to have that. Now, you may say, well, I understand that and, and I get that, but I, I, I fall short on faith sometimes. I, I just, I lack faith sometimes. But the word tells us that you have been given a full measure of faith a full measure. Now, Terrence, we're going to go over there and we're going to eat lunch together. And, uh, and they're going to be spooning out our food. And, uh, and, and I want a full measure. I don't know if you want a full measure, but I want a full measure of some good lunch. Now, now, I believe that if we really look at this, it is that you have all the faith of Christ inside of you at salvation. And that doesn't change. Your faith isn't growing. Your spirit is not growing. When your spirit was transformed at salvation, it isn't growing anymore. One third of you is perfect this morning. No matter what your body says about it, no matter what your mind, will, and emotions say about it, one third of you is perfect in perfect communion with the Father right now. Even as we sit here, we've got a a third of this room right now is all perfect. It's amazing, but it's nothing that we could do. It's nothing that we could do. We're going to go to Romans 12. Verse 3. And, uh, and I want to read this to you out of the King James Version. And, uh, and so here it says, For I say, through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. 
Not a measure of faith, not some measure of faith, but the measure of faith. This is not faith that you can come up with. Because if we use the faith that we have in the chair that we're sitting on, that's not enough faith. It's not going to get us through. It's only going to get us so far. 2 Peter 1, verse 1. Go there with me. 2 Peter 1, verse 1 says, Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. Again, this faith is not of us, but it says like precious faith. What does that mean? It means that to those who have identical faith with us, that means that we all in the room have the identical faith if we're believers. This is for believers right now. If you have received Jesus Christ into your heart and your, your spirit is transformed right now, a third of you is perfect, we have like precious faith with every saint. It is the faith of Jesus Christ residing in us. Now Galatians 2.20 says, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Again, not your faith. It is the faith of the Son of God. It's his faith that is fueling you right now. Now many of you, you know this. I'm, I, I know I'm teaching this, but I'm going to take it somewhere. And I believe the Lord wants to do some recalibration of our soul today. Because I don't believe that we understand what we have access to. I believe that we, if we understood what we had access to, would look completely different. You see, your faith is perfect. Your faith is perfect. See, anytime you get into a struggle, you get into a hard time, the enemy is going to say, you don't have enough faith to get your healing. You don't have enough faith to do that. You don't have enough faith to walk through that trial. No, I don't in and of myself, but I have the perfect faith of Jesus Christ. Your spirit is not growing any more faith. It is full of faith. You see, if, if we understood this, I'm telling you, if we understood this this morning, it wouldn't be silent when I say that. It wouldn't be. Because you're not getting any more faith. You've got the faith that can move mountains. He says, if you just had the faith of a mustard seed, you could tell this mountain, go be removed into the sea, and it would happen. Why? Because you've got the faith of Jesus. The problem is we don't know how to let that out. And so we've got a generation, and we've got a church in America that has walked by our own faith. And we tap into that faith every once in a while, and we see miracles happen. But we don't walk in that faith, or we'd be walking in the faith like in Acts 2 when we saw what believers were doing all over the place. It wasn't about the pastor. It wasn't about the youth pastor. It wasn't about, no, it was every believer was laying hands on the sick and seeing them recover because they understood what was happening. Your spirit is not growing in faith for the third time. Let's get that in, right? What is growing then? What is growing? Our soul is growing on how to actually articulate, how to matriculate, how to get everything, all that faith to actually work in our life. So Thursday night, we're, we're in here, we have a blowout. If you haven't seen it, go watch it on TV. It was amazing. Um, there, lots of things happened in the room. We had other pastors come in and they were bringing their gift and it, it was just amazing. And we had healings. Why? Because that person had enough faith to receive? No. Because the faith of Christ in them 
unlocked as they released that out and they were healed. Now this verse gives some people trouble. So I'm just going to read it to you. It says, 1 John 4, 17. As he is, so are we in this world. How do you process that? As Jesus is right now, as he is, so are we in this world. Well, I look in the mirror and I sure don't see Jesus. There's things in my life that I know Jesus would not approve of because we all have it. We're human beings. And so when we look in the mirror, we see this verse and we're like, wait a second. There's no way that this could be because it says, as he is, so am I in this world. Well, you are if you receive what's in your spirit this morning because your spirit is completely whole. So when you receive the Lord, you got supernatural faith. Now, the enemy will attack your faith every single time you're in a trial. It is the number one thing that he will come after you so that you aren't able to stand in the evil day. Is he's going to attack your faith. Well, if we know this, if we know that that's what he's going to attack, and we understand that our faith isn't of ourselves, and we can actually, like, work on that. How do we get it out? How do we stand on that faith? How does that actually work? How do I stand for healing for someone or even myself? then he can't attack us there. But there are some problems with this, is that we are human. But I, under, I understand this, is that if we really truly understand that our spirit is full of faith, then we don't have a faith problem. Can you agree with me? We don't have a faith problem. So when the enemy comes to you and says you lack faith, you can say, I don't have a faith problem. I have a knowledge problem. Boy, it's really quiet this morning. Either this is really good and you're just getting doused with arrows from, from the angels and truth is hitting your heart, or you're asleep, and I hope that's not the case. I'm telling you, you don't have a faith problem because if you're born again, you got all the faith of Jesus Christ in you. You have a knowledge problem, and the knowledge problem is how to unlock the faith that's in you to go get what you were given. That's the problem. We don't know what we have. And so it's not, it's not about that we didn't receive it or something in us was broken and we didn't get all of it. No, it's something that we couldn't do on our own. This full measure of faith, everything that Jesus has resides inside of us and we should be transformed. Now, how do we know that? So Peter, we read about Peter in scripture and, uh, and Peter would walk by and I, because of all the great lights these guys do, um, I've got like six shadows up here. But when Peter walked by, his shadow would touch people and they'd be healed. They'd get up and walk away. Did he have any different faith than you? No, his faith is the same as your faith. I remember the story about Dorcas and whoop, get up and get going. Did Peter have more faith than you? No. He has the same faith that you have. So why do we have sometimes when we come in here and we see a back completely restored and healed? Thursday night, completely restored. Doctor said on Monday, this is a huge problem. You're going to have issues. On Thursday night, prayed for, healed. On Friday, good, good word. Everything's clear. We're all done. Why, why is that? It's not because I had more faith than anybody. It's not because that person had more faith. We all have the same faith. It's because that person believed that Jesus did this for them. That's why. 
It's not a faith problem. It's a knowledge problem. So turn with me to Mark 9. This is one of my favorite, favorite, favorite scriptures because I can see myself in this scripture. We, we talk about characters we see. I see myself sometimes as a disciples. And, uh, and you know, we were talking about it in pre-service prayer. Uh, sometimes I've read the scripture and I see the disciples and I'm like, Duh, how did you miss that? And then I realize that they're dealing with someone who is fully God and fully man. Fully God and fully man. So when he's talking to them, he's talking to them sometimes in man, and sometimes he's talking to them in God, and I know as man, I ain't getting the God thing, right? And so now I have great compassion for them because they were hearing a God message in their humanity, and that's why they were so confused. But what I love about it is Jesus, whether he was frustrated with them, whether he wasn't frustrated with them, he always came back to give them a solution to help them believe, to help bring that thing up in them so they could actually do what he called them to do. So turn with me to Mark 9. We're going to read a little bit here. This is right after the Mount of Transfiguration. Jesus goes up, becomes light. We know that story. Go back and read it. If you don't, we're starting in verse 14. And when he came to the disciples, Jesus, he saw a great multitude around them and the scribes disputing with them. Immediately, when, he saw, when they saw him, all the people were greatly amazed and running to him and greeted him. When, when they, this, on Thursday night, I love this, when they played the first note Thursday night, people came running to him. They didn't come running to the platform. They came running to him. They wanted to see what God was going to do tonight. I was speaking to one of the ladies that came from one of the other churches. And she came in. They were sitting over there. They were all having a good time pre-service. And, and I walked over and I, I stood in the row in front of them. And I said, hey, how are you today? Great, great, great. Um, and I said, so tonight's going to be a good night. And she goes, oh, yeah, tonight's going to be a great night. And I said, why do you say that? She said, because when I walked on the property, my bones began to rattle. And I knew something was going to happen. I didn't even know this place was here. But whenever I stepped, I got out of the car and I got onto the property, my bones began to rattle. And I know that he's here and I want whatever he has for me. So I know it's going to be a good night. Now, my prayer is that every one of us, every time we come in this place and every time we go into our prayer closet and every time that we get into an encounter with somebody at the grocery store, that we know that he's there and we expect transformation. Not just to come and check it off the list. Verse 16, and he asked the scribes, what are you discussing with them? Then one from the crowd answered and said, teacher, I brought you my son whom has a mute spirit. And wherever it seizes him, it throws him down. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth and becomes rigid. So I spoke to your disciples that they should cast it out, but they could not. They could not. Now, this scripture troubles me sometimes, and I've had to dig in and really hold this before the Lord because they said, this man said, they, I took him to your disciples, and they could not. Now, this, this actual story is found in three of the Gospels. It's found in Mark 9, 14 through 28, Matthew 17, 14 through 19, and Luke 9, 37 through 42. Now, it's interesting that it's found in Matthew 17. I want to take you to Matthew 10. So turn with me to Matthew 10. I know we're bouncing around the Bible, but if there is a, I mean, if we're going to bounce around a book, let's bounce around this one, right? Matthew 10. 
Verse 5, these 12 disciples sent out and commanded them, saying, Do not go in the way of the Gentiles, and do not enter the city of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, and as you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons, freely you have received, not freely give. It doesn't say cast out some demons. It doesn't say uh, heal some sick people. It says heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons. Is that clear? Are we good with that? There's no like if and statements. It's just go do it. Okay, so that's in chapter that's in chapter 10. This story of the healing of the boy is in chapter 17. So I'm guessing if you just go back and reread that, I'm not guessing, I know it's there because I've read it. But if you go back, they've actually done miracles, seen miracles, and have actually been walking out this command to go and heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, and raise the dead. So they're doing it. So now the conundrum comes. Now I like the Mark 9 version. How many of you know about the Enneagram? Mark was sort of my Enneagram number, so I read better from him because he's bullet points. He just brings the power, leaves some of the fluff out. That's why I like Mark 8. But if you read Matthew 10 and then you read Matthew 17, you'll realize that they actually were doing this stuff. So it wasn't like they didn't have faith to pray for this kid. It wasn't like they didn't have faith to cast out the demon. There's some other things going on. So I want to highlight what's going on because you're probably able to see yourself in this scripture in some way. That you've done some. Maybe you prayed for somebody and they didn't get healed. Maybe, you, maybe something's happened to you. Well, I'm going to actually highlight what Jesus said about why that happens and why we need to fix that in our lives so that we can see what happened Thursday. And other days we've had healings all over the place this year, but some people aren't getting that. And I just want to highlight what Jesus said is the problem. Are we cool with that? I know it's a strong one this morning, but if you just receive me, I believe he'll change your perspective. Verse 17, the one from the crowd answered and said, teacher, I brought you my son who has a mute spirit. He identified that there was this problem. I'm sure that he identified that with the disciples, right? He told them this is what's going on. And then they did whatever they did and obviously failed. So it says that they could not in verse 18. He answered them and said, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him unto me. Now, this is where I resonated with that, that scripture. You're a faithless generation. You missed it. And sometimes I look at myself and I'm like, oh man, I missed it. Well, God isn't saying don't ever go do this again. God is not saying what I told you in Matthew 10 is not valid anymore. God is saying, listen, you got some growing to do, boys, and I want you to figure it out before I'm gone because you got to do this deal and it's got to last thousands of years. So let's figure this out. Okay? So it's not a condemnation. The religious side of you, for all of you who have grown up in church your whole life, you're going to feel like this is a huge condemning word of the Father. You messed up. You're over. I'm going to handle it because you couldn't handle it yourself. That's not at all what he's saying. I believe the heart of the Father is, okay, guys, uh, this one we missed. This is how we're going to go back and fix it. And then I'm going to give you some tools to fix it in the future so that when I'm not here, you can do it right. Now, how many of you have ever had that experience with another human being? I remember doing things with my dad, and I know I completely screwed up a lot of stuff. I messed up big time. I probably cost a lot of money on those projects. But what I do know is, is that I don't ever remember hearing condemnation or fault to say, man, I'm just going to do it myself. Get out of here. I'm going to take care of it. No, because that's not the heart of the Father. It's not what Jesus was saying to them, but he wanted them to understand there is a right way and a wrong way to do this. And I'm telling you that if you're not seeing miracles in your life, if you're not seeing signs and wonders as you walk around the earth, then probably there's some things out of alignment. We're going to fix them this morning, if you're willing. So then they brought the boy to him, Jesus, 
And when he saw him, immediately the spirit convulsed. Now I want you to read that carefully. See if it's capitalized, yes. And when he, who is that? No, 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 the first he. And when he, it's not capitalized. When the spirit saw Jesus, something happened. Right? When the Spirit saw Jesus, something happened. I, I've been in situations where I've walked around, spirits have seen who I am, and they start to freak out. So the Spirit saw Jesus and said, listen, whoo, we got to do something here. So what happened? And when he saw him, immediately the Spirit convulsed him, and he fell on the ground and wallowed, foaming at the mouth. So as we go on to read, I want you to get Jesus' temperament here. So a demon is manifesting in his presence. Jesus just says, hey, bring him here. We'll take care of it. And the demon starts to manifest in his presence. And Jesus gets all worried and like, oh, what are we going to do? No, no, no. No, this is what it says. It says, so he asked the father. So picture this with me because this is, this is big. Because I know that some of you have dealt with this thing. And you've dealt with demons and things. And you've dealt with sickness and disease. And I want you to see how Jesus is so focused on the problem. Actually, he's not. That was sort of sarcastic. So he doesn't, he doesn't just handle it because there's something at play that he needs to highlight first. So he's, boy, bring him to me. Boy comes over, demon starts to manifest, and Jesus is like, okay, I need to talk to you, Dad. Come over here. So he asks the Father, how long has this been happening to him? I love it that Jesus is like, okay, demon doing his deal, whatever. He's not going to kill him. We're coming over here. We're going to deal with the heart of the matter. Now, this is going to be strong, so just hang on. He asked the father, how long has this been with him? Why would Jesus ask that question? Because he was trying to find the temperature of belief in the father. So I'm going to repeat that. He was trying to attain the temperature of belief that the father had. Now, if you've had something for 30 years, if you've had something for a long time, oftentimes, if you allow that 30 years of thinking that it might not happen, which is unbelief, to be upon you and to put you in bondage, then when Jesus comes to take it away, it doesn't want to go away because you have more unbelief than you have belief. Trying to break it down, trying to break it down. So if you've been walking around with something for a long, long time, you don't have to check your faith level. If you're a believer, your faith level is just fine. You got more faith than you can move mountains with. We have to check our belief level. Now, some of you may say, uh, and I would do this illustration, but all my teens are gone. So I, I'm just, you're going to have to picture it with me. So, um, so picture a vehicle sitting here. And the vehicle is in neutral. And I get Brother Mike up here, and he's got a rope on the front end of the vehicle. And I say, hey, Mike, take the vehicle that way. And so he starts walking, and it goes that way. Then I say, okay, we're going to bring it back to the center. Okay, Mike, you're going to go that way. And Phyllis, you're going to grab a rope on the other side and go the other way. 
What happens to the vehicle in the second scenario? It doesn't go anywhere. Why? Because you've got something pulling this way and something pulling this way, and with that tension, nothing happens. I know some of you are tracking with me. You're ahead of me. Hang on, hang on, hang on. Okay, so here's the deal. You can be in belief and unbelief at the same time. I'll let that one hit you in a minute. This is a paradigm shift for all of you religious people that think that you're either in faith or not in faith and da-da-da-da-da. No, no, you can be in both. Yes? Jesus said, O faithless and perverse generation, it does not please God when the church as a general rule is not meeting the needs of people. I think that's what Jesus was saying to the disciples. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Uh, yeah, guys, we've got to fix this because you're not giving the people what they need. You're not providing them everything that I've given to you to provide them, so we've got to fix this deal. And so what we see is the church retreats. The church just retreats. And then the things go on in the world and people would rather go to the food stamp line than come to the church because the church has abdicated its problem and its authority. And people would rather go directly to the doctor with the diagnosis than come to be healed because the church has abdicated its authority. And what's happened in that, just a side note, what's happened in that is we've cheapened the gospel. We've made the gospel all about getting people saved, born again. Not that that's wrong, and you hear, hear correctly. I'm not saying that's wrong. But if all we're doing is getting people fire insurance, then we're missing the kingdom message that Jesus preached. And it's not about that. It's giving them everything that they need. So unbelievers look at us, and they say, what in the world? They aren't providing me with what I need, so I'm going to go look elsewhere. Hence, the government steps in for that. So I'm going to go back into this unbelief part. Then they brought him to him, and when he saw him, immediately the spirit convulsed and fell on the ground and wallowed and foamed at the mouth. Do you think, with the authority of the disciples who were with this boy before, do you think that the spirit did the same thing that it did when Jesus was there? I'm guessing that it probably did. I'm guessing that this guy brought the boy to the disciples, and they stood there, and they're like... We've been doing this a while. We got this one. And they start to go after it. And then this boy falls down, demon takes over, and starts foaming at the mouth and doing all that craziness. And then they began to not believe. Hmm. Hmm. Some keys to the kingdom here. So he asked the father, how long has this been happening? Why? Because he wanted to judge the level of unbelief in the father to see where this is going. He wanted to have a temperature of what was happening. Jesus always allows us in tough situations to tell him where we stand before we move forward. Are we in, are we in belief or not belief? I believe that sometimes people allow so much unbelief in their life that they're, they can't be healed because they've believed for so long that every, every April they have to have allergies. 
uh, they've told themselves. Now, this is a great one. Now that I'm 40, uh, like obviously Facebook and all those other fun apps know that I'm 40. So they start to play these things, commercials on there that say, you know, now that you're 40, these things are going to happen to you. Right. And uh, and and what I'm telling you is the longer that you allow those things to sit in your mind, the word says, take every thought captive and bring it under Christ. But the longer you let that stuff, it sinks in. Oh man, I, I must I must need to get those insoles in my shoes. I'm 40. <laughs> I must need all that stuff. No, no, they're trying to sell you a product. Believe me, I know marketing. That's a good way to do it. But it breeds unbelief in you. When the doctor says you're back on Monday, now mind you, this testimony will film it, but on Monday, goes to the doctor, having this horrible mid-back pain. It's been going on for a while. Oh, got to go get tested. Got to go figure this out. Goes to the doctor. Doctor says, oh, we got to really figure this out because it's, it's a bad deal. And the person says, okay. So from Monday till Thursday at 5 o'clock, believing that there's something horribly wrong. Not saying that there wasn't. The enemy can attack in any way, whatever. But then belief came. In the presence of the Lord, belief came, and bang, it happens. It happens. Well, that's what, he's, that's what Jesus is wanting in this scenario, but he has to teach us something. Jesus never just does it and then says, figure it out. He always wants us to grow. So now, I ask you this question. Was the man lacking faith when he came to bring the boy to Jesus? He was not lacking faith. Think about what it cost him to actually go to Jesus and the disciples in the first place. Do you realize that once you saw Jesus and you were in his group, that once you got in Jesus' tribe, you weren't allowed back in the, in the temple? Once you were in Jesus' tribe, you were ridiculed and, and all around. It took some faith for him to bring his son to Jesus. He had faith. But I want to read on here. It says... And often it would throw him both into the fire and into the water, verse 22, to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Now, some people would read that and say he's lacking faith. I'm looking at his actions more than I'm looking at his words. And he had faith to bring the boy. Okay? This, this, this father gets ridiculed through the whole thing. I think he had faith. And I think as we read on, you're going to find out what happened to unlock all this. So Jesus said in verse 23, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Okay, great. Good statement. Father hears that. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe. Help me in my unbelief. What? You believe, but help you in your unbelief? What in the world? When Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit. Deaf and dumb spirit, I command you to come out of him and enter him no more. This father was so in faith, he threw away the rest of his life because he was, he was going to Jesus for some help. And he was throwing away his reputation. He was throwing it all away. He had faith. And he said, listen, I believe, but there's some parts of me that are in unbelief right now. Help me in those parts. Most people 
Most people in the church today walk the same path of this father. They walk in faith, walk in faith, walk in faith, walk in faith, and then unbelief comes. The enemy sends unbelief into your camp. And unbelief is like a seed. It will grow. It will grow. And it will grow. And sooner or later, unbelief, if not checked, will actually cancel out all your belief. Doesn't affect your faith, but it does affect your belief. It's not what you are that holds you back. It's what you think you are not. I'll repeat that. It's not what you are that holds you back. It's what you think you are not. I can almost guarantee you that when the disciples saw all the manifestations of the demon, they began to think, I'm not Jesus. And I can guarantee that everyone in the room has thought the same thing. We're not Jesus. What, what in the world? Well, why, why are we dealing with this? There's a, a word in the dictionary that describes this in a clinical way, and it's called the imposter syndrome. Anybody know what the imposter syndrome is? I'll read you the definition. You've all experienced it. A psychological condition that is characterized by persistent doubt concerning one's abilities or accomplishment, accompanied by the fear of being exposed as a fraud, despite evidence of one's ongoing success. Do you want me to read it again? Here we go. A psychological condition that is characterized by persistent doubt. Wow, that's good. Persistent doubt breeds what? Imposter syndrome. Concerning one's ability or accomplishments accompanied by the fear of being exposed as a fraud. Despite evidence of one's ongoing success. You can be walking in success. You can be doing miracles for seven chapters in Matthew. And you can walk into a situation and begin to doubt. And instantly, you're worried about what other people think. What if we can't deal with this nonsense and people look at us and we're Jesus' disciples and we couldn't do it. And, and because of their doubt, their fear became reality. Because you're not walking in full faith and belief, your worst fear happens to you. And then you go, well, God didn't show up. No, he showed up. You just doubted. So I'm going to rattle off some quotes for you that I think will hopefully help you this morning. Nothing changes until your mind changes. Your marriage doesn't change until your mind changes. Your health doesn't change until your mind changes. Nothing on the earth. You don't receive a miracle until your mind changes. Information does not bring transformation. Conversion of that information does. So we can receive information, receive information, receive information. Once that conversion happens, where information becomes knowledge and becomes actionable, then nothing changes. So there's people that have sat under great teaching for decades and decades and decades and decades and decades and have lived in unbelief, and so they haven't seen what they, they've had faith. They've seen their faith work for their grandkid. They've seen faith work in all different kinds of things. They've seen faith work in their finances, but on this one thing, they don't believe that they are worthy to receive whatever God promised. And so unbelief cancels out belief. When you hear sermons, and now on YouTube you can hear all kinds of stuff. When you hear sermons and teachings and you still haven't changed, 
and you're still the same person. The same sins, the same attitude, the same stuff. The question you must ask yourself is, where am I in unbelief? Because the word always works. Now, you can believe that God's going to save America, but then you can sit for 10 hours a day and listen to unbelief. Or 14 hours a day, or 20 hours a day. Some of you are feeling condemned. I'm not condemning you. Just understand that the unbelief that you're putting into your life is actually going to stop your belief of seeing a miracle happen. And so when you're praying for revival, but you're hearing all the nonsense unbelief that God isn't going to do it, then how do you expect him to move? Because you're not going to be the one to bring it to pass because you've got so much unbelief in your heart. Proverbs 23, 7. For as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. The teaching of the word. Believe me, I love good teaching. I listen to hours and hours and hours of it. The teaching of the word brings revelation, but the transfer of the spirit of that word brings transformation. We've got a lot of people that have had a lot of revelations, but not a lot of transformation. Why? Because the enemy will sow seeds of unbelief. Every time you hear something that's true that you should be believing in, there will be a doubt that comes in. And it will be there to steal, kill, and destroy everything you've been believing. So we have a church today, not this church, not a lot of churches, but a church as a whole today that is not seeing transformation in their community because they're just giving good words and that brings revelation to people. But when the spirit of the word comes upon you, you see transformation in your life. Can you see this in this scripture? The struggle of the disciples. They didn't do it. Jesus came in, boom. Deaf and dumb spirit, I command you to go out of him and enter him no more. Then the spirit cried out, convulsed him greatly, and came out of him. And he became as one dead, so as many said, he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had come into the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could we not cast this thing out? Why? What's the deal? Why didn't we do it? The most difficult project in the world is the reconstruction of the human mind. Why is it the most difficult project in the world? Because you've put a lot of things in there that are wrong that do not go with this. And so when this counteracts what you've been taught or what you've learned or what experiences have brought to you, more than likely, unbelief will rule out belief. You are the sum total of things you've been conditioned to believe. Now I got a story about this. I wasn't going to say it, but I will. So I grew up in a Baptist church. I know it was the best foundation I could have ever had. That's great. I, I'm thankful for it. But there are some things that I learned in that, that made me really have to struggle when I walked into Ireland and saw miracles happen in front of me. I literally just stand in front of somebody and they fall over and they were healed and things happened. Well, all the conditioning of my mind was that, you know, that stuff stopped. That stuff, those, those disciples, man, they were good at it. Well, we read they probably weren't in the beginning, but, um, but they were good at it. 
And, and that stuff's not for today. Well, you know what? That breeded in me a lot of unbelief. And so the way that the Lord had to change me was he had to put me in a scenario which I didn't know what was happening. And then I had to believe because once you see it, you believe it. I'm sorry, but it's Thursday night. If you were in the room or you watch it online, when, when she came up here, when she stood right here and said, yeah, the Lord gave me a word of knowledge that it was somebody's middle back. And by the way, my back was hurting really bad. That's why I said it. And, uh, and I was like, man, there's got to be somebody that needs healed on their, on their middle back. And it was right there, right in the middle. And I said, does anybody have that? She said, yeah, that's me. Do you want to get rid of it? Yeah, that's me. I'm, I believe it'll go. So we just prayed over and she fell over and it was gone. And the reason... Yes, awesome. The reason is, is that she overcame the negative thought that it couldn't happen, that she was conditioned to think in some cases. And maybe that's what you need this morning. Maybe you need her testimony. And I know people that have said to me, if I see a miracle, I'll change my mind. No, you won't. No, you won't. You won't change your mind because miracles don't change your mind. Miracles and experiences don't change your mind. The disciples had seen lots of miracles. You may think I'm saying that is sort of like weird. No, the disciples had watched miracle, 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 miracle. All these miracles, it didn't change their mind. They still walked in there and had unbelief and didn't see breakthrough. So let's go back in verse 24. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said, Lord, I believe, help me in my unbelief. We always have a choice of whether to believe or doubt. They can be instantaneous. How many choices the scientists say we make every day? You can be making choices of unbelief and not even know them in your subconscious mind because you've been conditioned to believe that it ain't gonna happen. And so that's why we have to be so intent on hearing the voice of the Lord. What I love about Jesus in this verse, he says, Immediately the father cried out and said, Lord, I believe, help me in my unbelief. The next statement says, when Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the spirit and moved on. There is not a point in this place where he rebuked the, the father for being in unbelief and belief at the same time. That means that it's, it happens. You can't tell me it doesn't happen. If, if it wasn't supposed to happen, Jesus would have rebuked it. Mark 5. After the woman with the issue of blood was healed, Jesus, Jairus' servant, said, Don't bother the master, the girl is dead. Jesus heard and said this statement, Do not be afraid, only believe. This isn't a faith problem, everybody. This is a belief or an unbelief problem. We will see more miracles in this place because we get this right. You can both believe and you can doubt at the same time. And Jesus was saying, it's not your faith that's the problem. It's your unbelief. Now, I want to give one other illustration here at the end. So he said to them, this kind can come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. I want to rephrase that. Go with me to Matthew 17. Read this account. They're all good accounts. You put them all together, you get some great stuff. Matthew 17. 
So Jesus said to them, Matthew gives a little more. I like the bullet points. Matthew gives the paragraph. This paragraph will help you process this. Verse 20, so Jesus said to them, because of your unbelief. What? It didn't say that in Mark. No, this one gives a little more description. It says, then the disciples came to Jesus privately, verse 19, Matthew 17, 19. Why could we not cast it out? Verse 20, so Jesus said to them, because of your unbelief, for assuredly, I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to the mountain, move from here to there and it will move and nothing will be impossible for you. However, this kind does not go out except prayer and fasting. Hang on to your seatbelts. We're about ready to close. This scripture is not talking about the demon that doesn't come out except for prayer and fasting. That's not the context of the verse. The verse says he doesn't talk about the demon here. He's talking about them and he's talking about unbelief. And he said, because of your unbelief, most assuredly, I say to you all those things. However, this kind of unbelief does not go out except prayer and fasting. This goes back to Ephesians 4. Put off the old, put on the new, and how do you do it? Renewing your mind. I can guarantee you that if you're not seeing what you want to see, what God promised you, it's not a faith problem, it's a belief problem. And there's sometimes that you have to build up your belief by prayer and fasting. And unbelief has to go. Jesus said in John 5, 44, how can you believe which receive honor. How can ye believe which receive honor one from another and seek not the honor that cometh from God only? If you're worried about what people say about you, about the opinions, about what people think about you, you cannot operate in all the faith that God has for you because unbelief will cancel it out every time. Proverbs 29, 25 says this, the fear of man brings a snare. It's time for the church to rise up, not worry about what anybody else says, walk in faith and belief and see what God will do. Every time. As Jesus is, so are you in this world. Abraham, my last point. Turn with me to Romans 4, 19 and 20. And not being weak in faith, he had faith. That's not the question, it's not a faith question. And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead since he was about 100 years old and the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not worry about the things that he could see. He did not worry about the manifestation of the thing happening in front of him. He had faith. He had a full measure of faith. Verse 20, he did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief. Woo. But he was strengthened in his faith, giving glory to God and being fully convinced that he had, that he had promised, that what he had been promised, he also was able to perform. Faith is potent, but it can be negated every time by unbelief. We have a lot of faith warriors out there. We've all got the same measure. What I believe is coming in the awakening of the church is a, a death of unbelief. 
When unbelief is done away with, we don't look at things and say, I don't know if that can happen or there's a manifestation. I don't want to, I don't know if I can do that. I need to get the pastor to come. No, that's unbelief. It won't happen. You just negated it right in front of you. That person needed you to deliver them from something and you were like, I don't know if I can do it. I need the pastor. No, that's it. Unbelief canceled that right there. Your faith done. Not going to happen. But if you stand there and say, listen, I've got the faith of Jesus in me, and I believe that God can do what he said he's going to do, and I'm going to stand here until it happens, it will happen. So there's three kinds of unbelief. Number one, ignorance. You just don't know. I've walked through that. I just didn't know what happened. And then it happens, and then now I'm a believer. I'm not in unbelief anymore. I know the miracles happen. I've seen them. I've participated in them. I've received them. It's, it's, a, it's happening all the time. The second kind is disbelief. I've walked through that too. Because when you have this conditioning of your mind that these things don't happen today or that it's not going to happen through me because I'm not good enough or all those other things, you actually have to erase all of that out of your mind, all that unbelief. All that, you're 40 and. You got to erase all of that and then come into belief and then you see it happen. You see it happen. And the last one, I believe, is what the disciples went through. It's a natural unbelief. I can tell you in some of the situations that I've been in, my body and my mind said, whoa, I, I can't handle that. And when you deal with natural unbelief when you deal with natural unbelief what happens is is that it comes out by prayer and fasting the unbelief that you have about that situation will come out by prayer and fasting the first two that i mentioned just regular ignorance and regular disbelief those ones come just by experiencing truth the only way that i came out of some of those was just truth came to me truth dispels the unbelief, and it's gone. I'm not ignorant no more. I don't have disbelief. But sometimes natural unbelief will hang you up. And that's what happened to the disciples in that scripture. And so let's, let's finish. What happened there? He cast out the spirit, and then he tells them, you are living in unbelief. If you change that, you can run this ministry for the next 2,000 years. And I know that he believed and I know that they got transformed because as you read through all the Gospels and then you go into Acts and then you go into Romans and then you see what the church has done all through history and then I look in this room and see what God is doing through you, I know that they learned something from this. And my hope is this morning that you learned something too. The scripture tells us to take every thought captive there are many thoughts that go through your mind every single day. You doubt the validity of your marriage. You doubt that this, this cyst is ever going to go away. You doubt, that, you doubt that this addiction is ever going to break. You doubt all of this stuff. You doubt it, 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 and then you expect to come to church and be healed. I'm sorry, but no matter how good any of us are at believing with you, if you're in unbelief, it ain't happening. God wants you to be in full belief that what he promised, what he's spoken to you is going to happen in your finances, in your body, in your relationships. It's all going to happen. Let's deal a blow this morning to unbelief. Would you stand with me?
just bow your head with me this morning. We don't have any music, but I want you to just take a moment before the Lord. There are areas in all of our lives where unbelief has ruled us. Unbelief has negated the things that God has promised us. Unbelief has, has just torn us apart and taken us to places we don't want to go. And God is saying in this hour, I want a church who will believe and who will stand on the belief of what the word says, who will stand on the belief that this stuff is what I want to do. I want the church to be in our community. I want the church to be giving the community all that they need. I don't want the, I don't want the community to have to look to government. I want them to look to the church because the church has the answer. And this morning, if you have a spot in your heart, or in your life that is filled with unbelief, or maybe you just had some doubt. This morning, I want you to just hold that before the Lord. Lord, I, I feel like there are people in the room right now or watching online that, that are doubting a relationship. They're doubting that, that, that this thing is going to flip-flop, that this thing is whatever. Uh, they're doubting right now. And Lord, I just ask that you would invade their space, make them uncomfortable, bring them to a knowledge of you. Lord, there's somebody that, that has had this, this ailment for, for decades, and they've been believing, they've been, they've been having faith, but there's still unbelief pulling the other direction. This can't happen to me. Well, this morning, Lord, we cut that cord. Yeah. We cut that cord of unbelief and that they may plug into the belief that you have for them. Lord, that they are able to receive all the fullness of the gospel. And if you're here this morning and you are struggling, battling unbelief, I want to pray over you. Father, today, we know your word for we have the faith of Jesus Christ fully in us as believers. We have the fullness of faith. Lord, help us in our unbelief. Help us to believe things that are so miraculous that, that we, it's hard to even wrap our mind around. And Lord, help us to walk in miracles, signs, wonders, all that you have promised us, all that you have commanded for us, raising the dead, cleansing the sick and the lepers and healing them. Lord, all of that, may we walk in that every single day. And Lord, when unbelief raises its ugly head, may we cut the head of unbelief off and walk in full belief that you are the Son of God, that you are the King of kings and Lord of lords, and that the commands that you've given us and the authority that you've given us to be on the earth, just as Jesus is, so are we. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for your word, the example. And we thank you that, that these examples are here to sharpen us, that we may walk in the fullness of your kingdom here on this earth. We thank you, Lord. We give you honor and praise and glory. May this be a work. May these seeds of truth this morning come and penetrate us. And Lord, would you just strengthen us every single day to be the church in action, not just the church, but the church in action in this world, in every aspect of the world's needs. We give you this day, we give you this week. Lord, right now I pray that this day would be honoring and glorifying to you. And every step that people take from here on out, may this truth ring true in their lives. 
and we give it to you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you enjoyed today's message, I would like to encourage you to like it and share it on all social media platforms or jump on the website, thesummitdover.com or the app and click the giving link and help us continue to share the message of the kingdom across the world. God bless you and have an awesome week.